0: God bless. (laughs) Good morning. Welcome to the Food Channel. (laughs) We were talking about tacos, of course. Um, Anyway, good morning. Glad you guys are here. Thank you guys for watching online. Uh, Before we get started, a couple of things that I wanted to bring to our attention. Uh, One, if you could continue to pray for Sue Benson um, I got a text from Kristen this morning. It said that Sue had a cough all week, and by yesterday she was feeling pretty crummy. And so they thought it might be pneumonia. So they went to urgent care and they, they sent her over to the emergency department. And after x ray and another CT scan, they found that a blood clot had moved up to her lungs. And so um, they're switching her on the blood thinner medication and they're keeping her there for a few days. So we want to be praying for Sue while she's in the hospital uh, that the blood clots uh, break up and don't cause any problems. And for the other things, they're still watching her with the spots they found on the lymph nodes. Um, So be praying for her. Also, pray for Chris Jolliker. She lost her mom Tuesday And so I want to pray for her family, that uh, the Lord would comfort them at this time. Um, Let's pause, let's pray, and let's get started. Father, once again, our hearts break for those who are in these situations that are so difficult and cause such emotion, especially for those who are close to them, the family, and for them. Lord, we pray that you would bring peace and comfort and help to them in their times of need. Lord, we thank you for the support that they have around them, the people who love them. I know uh, even Chris spending time with my aunt brought comfort, not only, I imagine, to Chris, but to my aunt. And I pray that Sue would continue to get the support she has with uh, Kristen and with Ben and the other people in the family. And Lord, we pray that our time together would provoke us as well to to love and to doing things that are beneficial to one another in your kingdom. We're grateful for the opportunity to gather and ask your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Randy. And thank you... For all of you who make Genesis possible, for Rick, for Gil, for Brianna, uh, who's there with the kids, for Jason when he's here setting up, for those of you who contribute and make Genesis uh, happen, so that we can keep the lights on and stay online. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, grateful for all of you and. Thank you for you who are here, who make the conversation afterwards so rich. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Um, It really is important to have that uh, aspect of what we are. And so thank you again for these things. Today, we're going to continue in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Today, I'm going to talk about faith. Uh, Thank you for Randy for putting that together and... Saving us from the one I had originally (laughs) planned. Um, You guys will never know. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) his is much better. Uh, Just as we're getting started, a couple of things for the sake. If you want to dive into the things that I am going to be talking about deeper, um, a few books that you could look into. One is by Matthew Bates and it's called Gospel Allegiance. Um, I think I saw a title too, uh, Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Um, I th- I've seen them both, but the audiobook is Gospel Allegiance. Um, and then Scott McKnight has the King Jesus Gospel. And then N.T. writes How God Became King. Those are uh, books that I think you can get a lot more in depth on the things I'm gonna be covering in like 30 minutes time. And then if you listen to the book at one and a half speed, you can get through it much quicker. So just saying, you might be a little neurotic like me by the time you get to where you're going. like, okay, dogs, come on, let's go. (laughs) I'm just talking fast all of a sudden. But anyway, Ephesians chapter two, starting at verse eight if you're there with me again, I'm in the Holman Christian uh, Bible, and it says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Language play such an important part, obviously, of how we understand scripture. But it's also one of the problems that we have because we use words like faith or believe and how we think about those things are important. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was applause. I I was like, (laughs) where are you all? how we use those words or how we understand those words play an important part of the meaning that we're going to draw from this passage. And language is such a strange thing, right? We could say uh, cool and hot are opposites, but they could also mean the same thing. That car's cool. Oh, I know. It's really hot, right? What is it? Well, it's cool or it's hot or they have that meaning or, oh, man, that was really good. Yeah, I know. He's really bad. It it can mean the same thing depending on where you're coming from. And so the same thing can happen with the word faith. What does it mean? It can mean so many things. If we're not a little bit more precise in looking into it, we can have, I think, a confusion about what Paul is trying to say in this specific passage. And so I want to first look at what faith is not. Now, that does not mean that there are not elements of these things that can still find threads into it, but the word in itself does not mean or refer to just this. And here are a few of those things. One, faith is not the opposite of reasoned assessment okay, when something can't be thought through or doesn't make sense, then you just have to have faith. That's not what it means. It, it That defies reason or is the opposite of knowledge, and faith is not that. It's Sometimes people will say, well, you just have to have the, this warm feeling, right? This burning in your breast kind of a thing, right? That verifies because you can't find evidence of it or reason for it other than this idea. That's not what faith is talking about. It's not also a leap into the dark, right? Or blind faith. It's not jumping into something that is not reasonable, right? Right? You need to trust God for your healing and stop taking your medication. Don't do that. Take your medication. Well, if you have faith, you'll stop. No, that, that's blind and that's unreasonable and that's not what faith is. Hebrews tells us that faith is the underlying substance to which we hope for, which our hope is directed towards but that's different from blind faith or a blind leap. In fact, we see evidence and substance are a part of that description that are things that are tangible. Three, faith is not the opposite of works, which is something that I think many of us grow up thinking because there's this idea of saved by faith and not by works, and so we put them on opposite sides of the scale. And this is important because By defining it in that way, we distort both faith and, I think, what works means, which we're going to get into next week. And we make faith into something that is almost totally passive. And faith is anything but passive. So I just have faith, and I don't have to do anything because I have this idea of faith. I don't have to work. I don't have to lean into it with any substance. Faith also is not just a positive mindset. It's all going to work out. Just have faith. Just have the right positivity towards it. Again, doesn't mean that that's not a good thing, but that's not what this faith is talking about. I know we still use this word in that way, and that's you know cool or hot, depending on how you see it, but it's not what is meant in Ephesians. And this mentality, again, can make faith passive. It's just something you feel, it's just something you have to trust in, but that's where it ends. Just have that positive thought towards it. Faith is not just a positive mindset. And faith is not certainty, right? And this kind of goes into the name it and claim it. So the reason you didn't get that girlfriend is because you didn't have enough faith. No, the reason might've been because your breath smells bad and you're a jerk, right? I mean, the reason could be other things, but it's not that kind of, you just got to name it. You just got to claim these things. When I had become a follower of Jesus, I had shared faith with someone who was in a wheelchair because he had gotten in a car accident and he was paralyzed from the waist down and we were taking him to church and the concerts that we'd go to and he had this excitement in his life because he felt like there was purpose in his life, that God had purpose in his life. And as we started taking him to church and getting to know him, He ended up going to a church that was this positive confession and told him that if he had enough faith that the Lord would heal him. And he tried as much as a young man could try to have enough faith so that he could walk again. And it didn't happen and it devastated him. And he could no longer be involved with a system that would put this kind of burden on him. Right? And so faith isn't about you having enough of it and mustering it. If you just believe hard enough, then it's going to happen. Another element to this is that Christianity is presented in a way that if you have to believe or be certain of certain things, right, you have to have faith in the virgin birth or in the resurrection. Otherwise, you are not a Christian. Right? You have to have certainty of these events that makes you a Christian. Of course, the thief on the cross probably had none of this theological certainty. And so it's important to see that he was still welcomed into Jesus' kingdom, even without theological certainty. And then lastly, it's kind of a three-part. Faith is not just a profession. And think of it in three ways. There is... Profession in what I say I believe, what I think I believe, and then we come to what I actually believe because it's how I conduct myself. What I say I believe. Th- this is something we're used to hearing with our politicians, okay. right? What they, they, they're telling us what we want to hear. We're gonna stop the corruption that's in government, and all this, you know, unuseful spending. And then they get millions and millions of dollars from these donors who have agendas attached to them, right? And so they say they're going to do one thing, but then what they actually do is something different. And what they say is what we're wanting to hear, but it's not actually what they're doing. Or sometimes, It's just a matter of managing an image so that people see you in a certain way. Pastors can do this. I need to be seen in this light, and so I'm going to say these things because I know that's what people want to hear or will accept. And so then you come into places where what happens when a person who is teaching no longer believes the things that he's saying, but he has to say them so that people don't leave his church. He's managing an image, right? Or Christian schools that have a statement of faith. You have to say you believe these things to attend our school, and they say that so that the parents will pay the tuition so the kids will go to that school. And, and it's almost the opposite of really what Jesus would do, right? You have to have this certain set of standards to belong to this when Jesus was accepting people with none of those standards. See, a real Christian school would be letting all the riffraff in saying, yeah, you belong here and you're loved here but a lot of parents wouldn't pay to put their kids in that school. And then what I think I believe. This, this is where we, we feel motivated in something. I, I think of Peter saying, you know, when Jesus says, you know, who am I? And he says, you're the Christ, the son of the God, son of the living God. And then he also, you know, when he tells Peter and the other disciples, I'm I'm gonna go and be handed over to the Gentiles to be crucified. And Peter says, that will never happen. I will die for you. I don't think Peter was lying. I think that's what he really believed. And that's what he thought. But then we see what he did was different. See, because what we really believe is what we end up doing that's the thing that we kind of gravitate to. There was a a book, I don't remember what book it was that I was reading, that or it was a podcast, it could have been either, um, where this guy went to see, I think it was in a military base, an AA group that was meeting together, and they would get all the guys together, and they had someone new who was coming to the group, and the way they would set up someone who was new is they would have all the other people who were part of the, the group circle around and then they had two chairs that faced each other, the person who was new and the person who was kind of talking to him, who was leading that group that day. And, and as they sat together, the person leading asked the guy who was there for the first time, tell me what you love. And the guy says, well, I really love my family. And then the circle around them, they all just said, bullshit. And the guy was startled. And he asked him again, tell me what you love. And he goes, well, I do. I I love my kids. And the group around him again just said, bullshit. And the guy was shaken, and he asked him one more time. He said, tell me what you believe. And the guy just dropped his head, and he says, I love alcohol. I love drinking. And the group embraced him. Because that is really what was important to him and why he was there. And so it was important for him to acknowledge the truth about himself because that's what you believe. That's what you have faith in. Now, notice how I'm using the word believe to be synonymous with faith because in our minds they are or or they can be used in the same way. And again, that's the problems what we have with faith. Faith is something that we believe, but it's more than that. It's something that we actually live into. And faith is not just good theology. In the Gospels, there are a lot of questions as to who Jesus is. His family came to him to take charge of him because they thought he was out of his mind. His brothers didn't believe him. The disciples had confused ideas. Yeah, he was the Messiah, but the idea of Messiah to them was different than what he was really there to do. He wasn't there to conquer. And Jesus would then say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do the things I say? So the right information does not lead to the right action. And this is getting to where we want to understand. And this is what Matthew Bates talks about in his book, that faith is defined probably more clearly than any other word by the word allegiance. It's when we show allegiance to something that we put our faith in it. Because of the many ways that we know these other words like trust or believe, he thinks allegiance might be a, a better way to lean into this understanding of the word. And the word in the Greek is the word pistis, that we translate to faith. And, and there are three elements to it. The first element is a mental affirmation, right? This is important. You are certain enough to yield to it. It has to have some kind of pull towards what you want or think is right. You're not going to put your faith into something that is, in your mind, not going to be of value. And so you don't have to necessarily have a 100% certainty in something, but it has to at least ring true to you in some way to be appealing. The second element is a professed fealty or devotion or loyalty, a fidelity to, to Jesus as Lord or as King, right? Loyalty is only fleshed out in a relational context. You can't have allegiance to nothing. It, 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 faith doesn't exist in a vacuum. It requires an allegiance in a relationship too. And then the third element is enacted loyalty to Jesus as king, because that's what Lord means. It, it's really just a Greek word for king. King. And so when we tell the story of Jesus dying for my sins, and I just have to believe that in my heart, that is a faith or a belief that is primarily internal and something that I have to convince myself of or have some sort of certainty of. But when Jesus and Scripture use the word faith that they have in mind a sense of faith, Loyalty or allegiance or connection to, then it, it takes on a different context. It, it takes on something that is more involved. And, and I think it's important to see the difference between a, a contract and a covenant. right, so you look at a marriage, right? And what is a marriage? Well, a contract would be an agreement of two people to the contract. This is what it says. We are legally bound to this agreement, and if one of us breaks that agreement, we can then be liable and get sued because we are agreed to the contract. A covenant is a commitment to one another. It's a pledge to each other, And that relational dynamic is what these other definitions of faith miss. Because then we have allegiance to what we think, allegiance to what we feel, but we don't have a commitment to Jesus himself. Or we can miss that. And yes, there's information that I agree with. I know this person enough to want to to marry them. I have enough information that is, in my mind, my heart, something that I decide and want to do. I pledge, I say my vows to publicly decree my commitment and loyalty to this person. And both those mean nothing without the final piece of enacted loyalty. Right, so I have a desire to, be with, I have the pledge to commit to, but then I have to live into it. Because without that, the other two falter. And so an example of this is in Matthew chapter 21 where Jesus gives a parable of two sons. It's funny, someone had messaged me just recently about a, a post And it was a a group that I had reposted. And so they said something else. And you got to watch what you post because then everyone assumes you think everything that posts and those people say. But I shared this passage with them. It says, but what do you think? Jesus speaking. A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I do not want to. Yet later, he changed his mind and went. Then the man went to the other and said the same thing. I will, sir, he said, but he didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? The first, they said, Jesus said to them, I assure you, tax collectors, prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in a way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, but you, when you saw it, did not even change your minds then and believe him. Which of these trusted and did what the father said? What was the one who actually did it? See, the other one said all the right things. The other one looked pleasing to the father, had all those things going forward, but the other one who says, I won't, but did it, that's the one who actually lived into the relationship. That's the one who the father could trust to do this. That is the one who actually had faith. We see faith enacted in this story. Do the two sons share the same faith? According to Jesus, they don't. The understanding of what was to be done and the profession of what they would do was nothing without the reaction and the response of doing it. And so faith has something of substance built into it. Now, again, if we have in mind that salvation is me being able to go to heaven instead of hell, then all of this gets skewed for me in earning from God the right to be with him, right? That mentality changes everything. And that's why we've started off with this idea of salvation being something more than whether you get to be with God or you're not going to be with God. It is something that God is doing in you in the past, the present, and will do in you in the future. It is God restoring image, new creation in you throughout your life. And having that mentality changes how this plays out. But if salvation is more to do with this image living into it, then it becomes covenantal instead of contractual. See, I don't know about you guys and your marriages, but Corrine and I had a problem once. Happened 20 years ago, and we haven't had any since. Right? That's laughable. You, you, you got it. You laughed. He said, then you ain't in a marriage. Because problems are a part of it. But I didn't break a contract. I am committed to the agreement, the covenant. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God, what he is establishing with us is something that is supposed to be covenantial, that we are supposed to live into on a regular basis. I didn't just say a prayer back at this day and now I'm in. Oh, I I did say a prayer. And then I might say a prayer again. I love in Bono's book, his book called Surrender, he said, I'd always be the first up when there was an altar call. The come to Jesus moment, I still do it. If I was in a cafe right now and someone said, stand up if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, I'd be the first to my feet. I took Jesus with me everywhere and I still do. I never left Jesus out of the most banal or profane actions of my life. I think that's beautiful. That's covenantial. That's leaning into this. But just like you can't base how good a marriage is based on how good the vows were, right? Oh, man, they have a good marriage. Did you hear those vows? Oh, yeah, they were great. Those are beautiful vows. Yeah, the marriage is good. You can't base a good marriage based on the ceremony. Oh, it was a great ceremony. They had an open bar. It was so good. (laughs) That doesn't tell you what the marriage is. So you can't measure a person's relationship to Christ based on a prayer that they said or the fact that they were baptized or or all these other things. It is the loyalty, loyalty to each other throughout the years that testifies to the marriage's strength. And there is going to be difficulty. There is a difference when the loyalty is tested whether it's going to be contractual or covenantial. Did you break the agreement? Okay, so your commitment was to the agreement or was your commitment to the person? Faith is a faith in a person. It's the loyalty to each other. It is our loyalty to Christ. There's another story where this is illustrated in Mark chapter 2. When he, Jesus, entered Capernaum again some days, it was reported that he was at home, so many people gathered together, and there was no room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic, carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was, and when they had broken through, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was laying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith. How was their faith seen? By their enacted loyalty to their friend and to getting him to Jesus however they could. So how does enacted loyalty relate to grace. Is faith a work? Last week, I said that grace and faith were words used regularly in that society and not just in a religious setting, right? That grace towards others was insurance for your future. That you showed grace because it was how others would then respond to you. And we had some good conversation about that. I'm sure we're gonna have some good ones later today too. By the way, you guys who hear me and disagree with me, you're missing out when you don't come to the conversation and get to voice your disagreement because it's valid. Um, But grace towards others was an investment in your future because how that relational currency worked and we saw that that was complicated. It wasn't simple. And I think understanding faith as a participant and not an opposite can give us a little bit more insight into this, right? That faith like grace is not passive, but active in response. I have faith. And so I enact on that faith. I've been given grace and it moves me. It changes me, transforms me. It affects something within us that causes the new creation to be seen through us. Another example, this is a beautiful one in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him, Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. She is a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who has forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What was her faith? Was it believing? Was it professing? Was it the enacting? Was it all three of them? The first two seen by the final act. This is why you can have doubts and still be faithful. This is why lamenting is given such an important place throughout Scripture because you can grieve and still have faith. When a marriage struggles, it's the opportunity for faith to be enacted. It's normal and part of the development of allegiance to each other. And so just as a successful marriage is not defined as one that has no struggles. Faith in Jesus is not defined as one with no doubts or heartache, but of the continuing allegiance too. I heard a pastor say one time that if you doubt that you're going to heaven when you die, and boy, we gotta someday, I just gotta talk about that whole theology. If you doubt that you're going to heaven when you die, then you are not saved because you should have no doubts. And I think he probably said something like that so more people would come when he gave the altar call because if you have any doubts here about where you are with Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. Who's not gonna raise your hand? I have doubts sometimes. But again, it's not about whether I doubt or not. It's about what I'm going to live into. And faith is what we live into. It's the evidence of things hoped for. That means there's something there. It's the substance. That means there's something there, even though we don't see it. There is a relational connection that is substantive. And sickness and health for richer, for poorer, when I doubt, when I struggle, if I'm in a wheelchair, if I have cancer, If my spouse leaves me, if I have a job or I'm on the streets, God grace is an investment that produces faith. You are saved by grace through faith. It's important to see how these are intertwined with each other, that they don't stand alone. Grace doesn't stand alone and faith doesn't stand alone. They stand together and they work with one another to enhance the covenant that has been made with us by King Jesus. And we get to respond to that And it's important that we respond to that. Not to earn salvation, not to earn that gift anymore, get more of it, but to participate in it. And faith is that allegiance that connects us to the gift that God has given. Next week, we'll look how it's not works yet produces good works at the same time. And so hope you'll join us for that as well. Let's pray. Lord, I know that in looking at all this, I desire to have a faith that is a commitment, not a burden, but an allegiance to. I, I desire to have a faith that, I can trust and lean into. Not something I have to take blindly or not something that requires of me what I can't give. I desire to have this because I love who you are and what you've given to me. And I pray that we would be provoked to love and good deeds that it's your goodness, this grace that leads us to repentance, that, that draws us to your heart and produces within us this allegiance. Father, may we be as generous to those around us as you have been to us. May we not be so quick to label as the Pharisee did. May we not be so quick to present things as the sun did to try and bear an image that we maybe don't have. May we be honest like those men at the AA group and see where we're really at because that's where you really can meet us. And that's where the faith begins. Thank you again for this time and this opportunity we have. May it be effective in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I look forward to our conversation together afterwards. May the goodness of God provoke you to lean into his desire for you to bear his image. In Christ's name. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast.